Why don't you have a seat as we pray here, Lord? I just pray that as we gather here in these moments where we are declaring your glory, declaring for you to have your way in our life, that you would speak. I don't know who's walking in in the midst of incredible hardship. But I pray, Lord, that you would bring peace to them in these moments. I pray for those that are celebrating incredible seasons of life right now, that they would give you the glory for what you have blessed them with. Lord, I think of the refugee churches in Europe right now where people are gathering in spaces that were never declared a church before but they are today and in the midst of tremendous pain I pray that your glory would be seen and that your spirit would descend there and that they would feel your presence of peace And so as we gather with churches all around the world today, Lord, I pray that you would have your way. That we would see you on the move. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. My name is Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us here in person. And for those of you online, welcome. We're glad that you are with us this morning as well. If this is your first time here, I want to give you a warm welcome. I would love to meet you afterwards, so feel free to come up, talk. You can ask me any question you want. Um, Otherwise, if that's intimidating, you can go out to the welcome desk after this service and you can ask them any question you want. We would love the opportunity to get to know you uh, here this morning, so thanks for choosing to be with us uh, today. So as a church, we are in the midst of a series titled Gospel Culture. And what we're doing is we're looking at 12 biblical traits that come straight from Scripture, that help us define what it means to be a biblical community, what it means to be a biblical church. And and these traits are basically a blueprint for us as believers as we gather to get together to show what we need to believe and practice to experience spiritual renewal together as we kind of seek God in, in a new season here. They also give us the things that we need to look at and be fruitful and faithful in as we carry out the mission of God and his kingdom here in a culture that is just always changing. And so these are traits that we need to pay attention to. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the 10th trait called the priority of community. 
And so I want to invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to Romans 12 or turn on your device to Romans 12. And because you are amazing people, I'm going to ask that while you're doing that, you can also stand at the same time since you can do two things at once. And we are standing out of reverence for this holy word that we believe is living and active and wants to speak to our soul today. That God wants to speak into our lives here this morning. So Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Father, as we read this word, may you speak. Remove me from being a distraction. And may your word speak and penetrate the hearts of all of us in this room and those that are watching online. We know that this is true. And so we pray that you would have your way. In your name I pray, amen. You can have a seat. So we're going to be looking at Romans 12 as a reminder for how important community is to the life of a believer. So if you uh, call yourself a Christian, then this morning this message is for you. The truth of Romans 12 is for you. And I believe that there is this uh, theme that comes out of Romans 12 that we need to remember and that we need to be praying that we would pursue this uh, with, with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, that we would be pursuing to look for the defining movements of God. The defining movements of God are meant to be lived with others rather than by yourself. See, the defining movements of God are meant to be lived with others rather than by yourself. Sometimes we forget that. And so Paul writes this in Romans 12. And we're going to look at this uh, text. And we're going to look at it through uh, three different lenses that Paul gives us. The first is through this lens of the lies against community. And then we're going to see the belonging in community and then look at the glory of community. So before we jump into the lies against community, I want to give you a little bit of context. 
If you were to go back and if you were to start to read from Romans 1, what you would end up seeing is that Romans 1 through 7, uh, Paul is basically writing to uh, this church in Rome, and he is, uh, he is basically writing and wanting the followers of Jesus to understand the truths of the gospel. And so he takes seven chapters and he, he kind of writes that out. And then in chapters 8 through 11, he's, he's writing about his concern for Israel and their relationship with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he gets to Romans 12, the text that we're in this morning. And in 12, he starts putting meat on the bones and starts saying that this is what, uh, from everything that I have written about previously in every previous chapter, this is now how you are to live. What all this means is you're supposed to be like this. So notice what he does in verse 1. Look at verse 1, the first word. Paul ends up saying, therefore. This is a key word, and Paul uses this quite a bit because he, he says there's kind of a cause and effect. He ends up saying that because of everything I've, I've written to you, because of the call, the urge that I'm putting uh, towards you, you are to live this way. Therefore, act and live like this. And the, the point is important because this is a letter to a church, not to an individual person. It's a letter to a, a church in Rome. What's interesting about this church is that the church in Rome was made up of Jewish converts and Gentile converts. It was a, a mishmash of people that were brought together. And if you would to, were to look at that church, what you would find is this. Is that they were uh, different people, different backgrounds, different languages. They had different opinions. They had different cultural trend, uh, traditions. And they had different uh, aspects in many ways of their lives, they were not similar. Now, when I walk in here on Sunday morning and I look out at all of you, and you guys look amazing this morning, nice job, but you look different. See, we have people that enter their local church and they come from different cultural backgrounds, they are full of different ages. They have different opinions. They have different political parties. We speak many different languages. We have different uh, skin tones. And we have different faith journeys. Friends, Wheaton Bible Church is a reflection of the church in Romans 12. We're different. And yet, Romans 12 says that we are to come together. Paul's writing this because of the differences between us. And so he ends up saying right at the beginning of this chapter to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as an act of worship. Now, why does he do this? Well, it's because he is urging, he is pushing this church, he's driving this church, all of these followers of Christ, to remember the one who took our place on the cross and because of that mercy, we are to live a committed life in him with other people. And so he's pushing them to do that, to say, do not let your differences divide you. See, committed followers of Christ, they sacrifice because their desire is to give glory to God rather than to give glory to themselves. 
Committed followers want to give glory to God in the small pieces of daily life and in the large seasons of daily life. And so Paul's urging them on and saying, this is what you need to do. And then he also says, but this isn't easy. In fact, this is going to be a battle. And the reason it's going to be a battle is because there are lies that are going to come against the community. So let's start with the lies. The lies against community. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but have you ever seen a square watermelon? You might not have, but they actually exist. Square watermelons actually exist. They started in Japan in 1978. There was like a, um, a graphic artist there that started thinking through things, and he wanted watermelons to fit easier in refrigerators and make it easier for them to ship. So he came up with this idea, and as the watermelon grows, they're placed in these uh, glass containers, and they're these tempered glass so that as they grow, they end up conforming to the box that they are growing in. And once they get to a certain stage, the box is then removed with the intent that you can stack watermelons on top of each other, ship them easier, and then people can cut them easier and store them in their refrigerator easier. This all happens and it's still happening today. So instead of coming out round or oval, these watermelons are square and they look really cool. Now, do not Google that right now on your phone. <laughs> I know some of you are starting to do it. Stop. Because here's the thing. They look really cool, but from everything that I have read, they taste horrible. See, the, the conforming has come on those, and what we find in verse 2 of Romans 12 is we see this first lie. In verse 2 it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now when we look at this, what we have to understand is that the first lie that's going to come towards us is that conforming is easier than transforming. That it's going to be easier. You've probably noticed this. Have you ever noticed that your comforts, your will, your desires, you really enjoy those? Like, you really like those. They, they are important to you. You enjoy having them. And so what ends up happening is that there are these outside influences in our culture that invade the space of your life. They bring this cube into your life, and they work to strengthen your comforts, your wills, and your desires so that you conform to the will of the world instead of the will of God. And when that comes against you and that's forming, it tends to then start to close other people off from you. Everything from the outside is closed off because the world's pattern of self-fulfillment seems easier than the transformation of Christ. See, buying into this lie ends up stunting the renewing of your mind. It stunts the growth of your mind. It stunts the, the transformation that God's grace wants to have in your life. In fact, Paul wrote another letter, uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And, and in Ephesians 4.23, uh, Paul writes to put off your old self. 
And then he says this, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Meaning that you're just not to think true thoughts, but that your mind is to be influenced, is to be reoriented to the will of God in his grace, in his mercy, and that your mind is radically transformed. See, we are to allow the transforming word of God to seep into our minds so that everything that we take in from this isn't just for knowledge, it's actually to seep out in every way that we live. That's what transformation is about. It's not about conforming to the ways of the world. See, family members, this is what we have to understand is that what you think, whatever you think, will eventually come out in your actions. You might be able to hide the way that you think sometimes, but eventually it's going to come out in your actions and you're going to live it out for all to see. See, what we have to look at is that the pattern of this world wants you to buy into the comfortableness of conforming rather than the mercy of transforming. Now, there's a second lie. The second lie is this. It's that you're the greatest. In fact, I was going to say that the second lie was that you're the goat. The greatest of all time. I mean, possibly some of you were walking into this building today, looking around at everybody and going, man, I look good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Look in the mirror. You you know, you got to see how you really look. But we tend to think, like, I'm really spiritual. And the sins that I'm committing aren't necessarily as bad as the person sitting over there. And so we buy into this lie that we are the greatest. I saw um, a video last year of this soccer player taking a penalty kick and he makes incredible contact and, and just hits this, uh, kicks this incredible shot and it goes right off the crossbar and straight up into the air. The goalie ends up sprinting out like he's running with his arms out towards his teammates like he was so intimidating this guy couldn't even kick it into the goal. And then all of a sudden you see the ball drop and it has this incredible backspin and it rolls right into the goal. I mean, he thought, the goalie thought he was the greatest. Or there's former uh, Golden State Warrior Nick Young who ends up taking this three-pointer in a basketball game and he, he shoots it and as soon as it leaves his hand, he is turning around to the crowd in great arrogance with his arms out looking, saying like, look how great I am. And he does this over and over and what he doesn't realize is he missed the shot. We live in a culture where we think we are the greatest we actually, uh, we end up going through this and we live in a culture where we raise our kids to think highly of themselves. And some of that is really positive. We want positive self-care and positive mental health and we want all of that, but sometimes it leads towards thinking the wrong things about ourselves. 
So here's the thing. I have a microphone. You don't, so I get to jump on my soapbox. So here's where I have a problem with it. We have a bunch of kids, and this is going to continue, that at the end of their time in uh, athletics, they're going to be like, man, I was so good as they look at their wall and all the trophies, and every trophy is a participation trophy. So great, you played. See, we end up getting into this mindset where we start thinking and raising our kids so that they think that they're great. And on top of that, as we think that about them, what it means is that we go, man, we are amazing parents. We're amazing grandparents. We start to think too highly of ourselves. See, in in verse 3, Paul ends up saying uh, this. He ends up uh, looking at this church and he says, for, the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Amen. See, that grace, the grace that Paul's talking about and referring to here is the grace that God has given him the ability to teach and responsibilities as an apostle. So he's saying, because of the grace that God gave me and those responsibilities, I have to say this to you. Do not think of yourselves too highly. And it's because of that grace he warns them and he warns us today. Why? It's because of the next term that he uses. He uses the term sober judgment. That's a key phrase in this text because what he's he's saying and what he's pointing out is that this church has uh, actually been living out like they are drunk on their egos. They are egoaholics. And Paul's saying, you have to think with sober judgment. Stop acting this way. Tim Keller, uh, in one of his books, he ends up writing about this church, and he writes that what this church is dealing with is dealing with egocentricity. This is what that means. It means the view that you are the most important thing in the world. The most important thing in the world so that you think only or primarily of yourself without regard for the feelings of others. Now remember who this church was. Jewish converts, Gentile converts. Imagine the breakdown of a unified community between Jews and Gentiles if they lived thinking too highly of themselves. Their traditions are more important than their traditions. Their opinions are more important than their opinions. It would be a breakdown of the early church. Let me ask you, are your opinions more important than the opinions or the, your will more important than the will of the others that you are sitting in the row with? See, when we, when we look at this, imagine what would happen if we approach community and we approach ourselves in the same way of thinking too highly of ourselves. Because when you buy into the lie that you're the greatest, you end up living a false gospel. You end up living the gospel of yourself. And so what these two lies are saying is that pride is waiting to creep in and to pounce and to destroy the community. And we have to remember 
that defining movements of God are meant to be lived with others rather than yourself. And so Paul lays out in Romans 12 these lies. But he doesn't leave it there. He ends up saying that we need to look at the way of community. And so look at what he ends up doing. He wants us to understand that we need others. Jewish converts needed the Gentile converts and vice versa. Whatever background you come from, you need those from the other background. Here's a scary statement. Republicans need Democrats. Democrats need Republicans. See, what is happening here is what you have to see is that the need of others is vitally important. And so we have to assess ourselves appropriately. So when you're assessing yourself, you need to look in the mirror and go, I'm a sinner. And then look at the people next to you and go, they're sinners. And we are saved by grace. That's why community is important. And so he points out then in Romans 12 that there's actually two things that we need to see. We need to see that we are a fellowship, which is a beautiful word, a fellowship of difference. I take that term from uh, author and Professor Scott McKnight, who's a New Testament professor at Northern Seminary. He wrote a book called A Fellowship of Difference, which is about the local church and the unity in the community that it's supposed to have. And he looks at at all of that, and then what we have to do is we have to look at verse 3, and in verse 3, we end up seeing that God has distributed faith to people. And what I want you to see is what the English Standard Version of the Scriptures, how it translates this text. Ends up saying, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay, so your faith that you have, God has actually assigned that to you. And he's given you a measure, a certain amount. This is what it means. In our local community here, we are not in competition with one another. We should not be in competition to think that we have the the best faith out of everybody here or in your groups that you are the most spiritual. Because what we find is that God is giving a measure to each of us and it's actually going to be different than those that live in your home and those that live next door to you and those that you gather together with. And it's a beautiful thing because when you need the faith that someone else has, they are to come around you and they are to offer that to you. They are there to serve you. And when I need it, you are to serve me, and I am to serve you. And it's this thing where God is saying, I am giving to all a measure of faith so that you can be about one another. See, when we think that living our faith is a private matter, it means that you are working in your own strength. Your faith is not a private matter. It is a matter that you bring before other believers and when you do that and you live it out in great community, it magnifies the glory of God rather than the glory of yourself. So as you depend on God's strength, 
you then use what God has poured into you for the good of those around you. We're a fellowship of difference. We have different faith. In verse 4 then, Paul ends up pointing out that we have uh, different functions and different responsibilities. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So your task, my task, is going to be different. It's going to be different than the people you sit next to. And we see this in a beautiful way. This is how the Trinity operates. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. God was the the creator, and he actually uh, put together the plan of redemption. Jesus comes, and he carries out the plan of redemption. Jesus uh, goes to the cross, dies, is risen from the grave, he ascends to heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit's function is to strengthen you as a believer. So it has different functions, not the same roles, but they are one. You and I have different responsibilities. I mean, when we look at this, when you go about life alone, when you go with your spiritual life alone, you can't prosper. You can't prosper in the will of God because he's given others the functions that you don't have. You wouldn't want me to lead you in worship. That's their role. It's not mine. I mean, there's a variety of things with that, but what he ends up saying is that we have to understand that we are in Christ and meaning that when we are in Christ, we've been given a function that might not be the same, but it is just as valuable to the entire community. This is how the Christian life is to be lived out. We offer ourselves to one another. Then in verses 6 through 8, Paul starts talking about spiritual gifts. And if you read this and you know it, maybe you've had a background in the church, and so you've read this text before, and you're like, great, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Sorry, I'm not going to. It's always better to have a guy with an accent describe all of those. (laughs) So we'll wait for him to come back, okay? Here's the reason I'm not going to go into detail about the gifts that are Uh, labeled here. It's because it's not a full list of spiritual gifts. See, Paul's purpose in putting these gifts in is not to say these are the gifts that everybody's supposed to have because there's other spiritual gifts that aren't listed there. What he's trying to do is he is pointing out that you are given gifts, but whenever you look at the gifts, you have not been given all of them. So the moment that you surrendered your life to the gracious work of Jesus and you surrendered your life to him, you were given a spiritual gift, but you better not think too highly of yourself because you don't have all of them. He's saying the gifts that you need in your life, others have, and they are to offer that to you. And the gift you have, you need to offer to others. So friends, the spiritual gifts in your life, if you are not using your gifts... You are not following the will of God. If you're not offering those to others, if you're viewing it that your gifts are for you, you're wrong. Your gifts are for the entire community. So why community? It's because we are a fellowship of difference. And it's a beautiful thing. 
The second aspect of why community is this, is that we belong to one another. Look at verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now that phrase might scare you like crazy. Like, I don't want to belong to other people. Like, I, I don't want that. But we belong not because of the other people's personality, their characteristics, the the opinions they have, or the things that they do. We belong because of what happened to each of us. We belong because for those of us that say that I am a believer, we belong to one another because of the work of Jesus in your life, not because you think you are so gifted. Several years ago, uh, my dad one Christmas gave me a biography And it wasn't until my adult life that I really liked to read. And so he gave me a biography uh, titled Bonhoeffer. Now, if you've read this book, you realize that for somebody that did not read a lot growing up, this is like like taking you to a whole nother level because it's like 600 pages. When I opened it, I thought, this is the worst Christmas gift ever. And it took me a year until I started it. And then I started it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor and theologian. He was an enemy of the Nazi party. One of the most influential men in Christendom. He wrote this book called Life Together. In it, Bonhoeffer wrote this. Not what a man is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality and piety constitutes the basis of our community. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. Here's what this means. The moment you were saved, The moment of your salvation, the moment you surrendered, your salvation was just not about you. You were saved individually, but you were saved into a family. You were saved for one another. See, we like to talk about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's important. But we have to look at this and go, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ grows and is giving God the glory when we are living out our faith with other people. So you were saved into a family. That's why when we take in new members, we end up looking at it and we say, new members, they are becoming part of a family. They are committing themselves to accountability, committing themselves to serving one another in in the church. And so church membership is a statement of commitment and of offering ourselves to one another because Christ is at work in us. Tomorrow morning, um, I'm going to get together with three of my spiritual brothers. We have breakfast every other week. Guys, you better be there because you're sitting in here. Um, But we get together and we talk life. We talk about how we've screwed up. We talk about how can we be better dads, better husbands. We pray for our kids. We push on each other. We text each other throughout the week. And we, we do this. And the, the thought in the beginning was like, let's get together to do this. But here's why that was so important. It's because the foundation of us getting together is we belong to one another. 
that we've given each other the, uh, the ability to speak into one another's life and to speak Christ into one another's life. And so for some of you, especially the introverts in the room, you're going to be like, well, what about our uniqueness? What about our individuality? You know, why does it always have to be community? Well, see, when we belong to one another, it means that your individual identity the identity that God has created you to be cannot be fully formed, cannot be known except in serving others as you rely on Christ. You can't go the Christian life alone. So we're saved as individuals, but also saved into a family. And it's because defining moments of God are meant to be lived with others rather than by yourself. And so you have Paul talking about the lies and talking about the why, and then we have to look at the glory of community. Look at verses 9 and 10. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Okay, so I want you to see something here on the screen. Look at those words that are in yellow. We end up seeing sincere, good, love above yourselves. See, the reason there's glory in community is because when we look at these words, what we realize is that we have a Savior that was incredibly sincere, that when he said that he loves you, he's willing to go to a cross for that love. When, when we look at good, what we have to understand is that good, good found, the foundation of good comes through a Savior, a risen Savior that has marked what good is. Whenever we look at love, we have to understand that Jesus is love. It's who he is, and because that's who he is, he pours that out onto everyone else. And when we think about above yourselves, what we have to understand is that the, the Savior is the one that thought about you above himself because he freely gave himself to go to a cross and he freely gave himself to defeat death because he's saying, I'm thinking above you rather than me because I love you and I want to be your savior. Amen. When we look at that, what we then have to understand is saying all those things, all those words, I don't naturally lean that direction. Why? Because I'm a sinner. I don't want to think about others above myself a lot. You know, there's times that I just, I don't want to love because I want my way. And yet, whenever we are in Christ, we are, uh, we are told that the foundation of our community is built on this. Sincere love, good love, pure love, love that is above all others. This is the foundation of our community, and when that's the foundation of our community, that community gives glory to God. Bonhoeffer went on to say that uh, whenever we are in Christ, what we have to understand is that Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. We get the opportunity to participate. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, what we then look at is we say that because Christ saved us, it's only because of that work that we actually know the believers around us. 
It's only because you know Christ that you actually know the believers around you because if it was left to you, your ego would take control and you would never know them. And so Christ is saying this is what it means that uh, that whenever you are in me, we have a community that is like this, that loves one another well, cares for one another well. See, that's what we find in the book of Acts and in the early church. We see the church growing, needs being met, suffering being cared for, strength for the next day when persecution would come. And the similarities between the early church and us is present. And it's the work of Jesus in being called a child of him that brings us together. And so when we bring our gifts into community The glory of God is seen in that moment and in our community all around. See, the glory of community comes this way. Pastor John Piper says it like this. In Christ, we are redeemed together. We're justified together. We're forgiven together. We're created anew together. Every need met together. Loved by God together. Perfected together. Living forever together. And all this glorious unity created in Christ for the glory of Christ. Defining movements of God are meant to be lived with others rather than yourself. So this is where I need to tell you, Sunday service isn't enough, people. Because let me tell you, you can come in here and you can get in the seat, you can smile at the people around you, you might even say hi, and then you can walk out and you've never talked to anyone about what's really going on in your life. You've never talked to anyone about the faith that God has put into your life. And if you're a Christian... You have been formed and you've been called into a relationship with other Christians. And so I want you to dream for a second. What if, what if God wants to take Wheaton Bible Church, this family that we have, and in this season, he wants to rewrite the book of Acts and the church that we find in Acts. And he wants to rewrite it, and he wants to say, I want to do it with Wheaton Bible Church, with that community of believers that are going to sacrifice themselves for the good of others, that are going to uh, create the space to to be in community, to urge one another, push one another, to to value others above themselves. I want to take that, and I want to rewrite it. What if the spiritual renewal that we need as a family is by us being in community, in deep community with one another. The impact on this community and the community around us would be overwhelming. And so I want you to dream. And I want you to pray that God would choose to do a defining movement in each of our lives and do it in all of us together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are and what you want to do in our lives. I thank you that you have created community and that you saved us to be united with you, but also to be united with other followers of you. I pray that the relationships we have
would be relationships that, that pursue holiness, that pursue the goodness of others, that, that in the hard seasons that we bring our, our friends, our brothers and sisters up, and in the celebration seasons, we celebrate together. And Lord, I want to admit that we have not been a perfect community. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for not always pursuing the good of others. But I ask that you would transform us. May your word soak us to renew our minds so that we can pursue the biblical community that you want us to have. And we worship you for that. It's your name I pray. Amen.